I'm Emily Barney, and you are tuned in to the Backyard Pet Talk with Shannon Riley podcast. Hello, Emily, and welcome back. Super excited. Mm -hmm. So just as a recap for anybody who happened to be joining, Emily is one of my besties, and she got a puppy on Friday. So if you have missed, we've done a couple podcasts now about preparing for puppy and looking for breeders. So if you happen to be tuning into this and you haven't checked those out, definitely go back and check out those as well, because we have tons of information. And the way we're formatting this puppy podcast are Emily is shooting me all of her puppy questions and we decided to record it so that you could all benefit from my answers. So it wasn't just her because it's been 10 years since she's had a puppy. And now we are making this the perfect puppy as much as we possibly can. So if you haven't checked out those, check those out. But you you can check in at any point with these. So you're welcome to listen to this one, even if you didn't leave the others. We are today going to try to talk a little bit about food and, and toys and food toys and kind of all of those questions that Emily has. So she is asking the same questions that you have been wondering. And now you get a chance to hear those answers. So that's what we are starting with today. So Emily, tell me, shoot away and tell me what your first questions are. Well, my goodness, Shannon, how the heck do I pick a food? There are <laughs> so many food options and no matter what I pick, someone believes that I'm going to kill my dog. If yes. I don't feed raw, I'm going to kill my dog. Uh, feeding kibble is dog abuse. You know, if I go with one of the, like the big, huge, major brands, they use crap ingredients. So Shannon, how do, how does a person narrow down? And, you know, you and I have already talked about what, and made some decisions about what food I'm going to feed. So let's talk about that, but to what considerations someone should look at based on their different like goals or puppy or lifestyle or whatever. And as a vet tech, I've been dealing with this question in medicine as well as as a trainer. So, and it's a very complicated answer sometimes, and it actually gets more complicated. I feel like as the more goes, because nowadays everybody and their brother makes it to food and then calls it the best. So I think first talking about the types, just to make it kind of break it down. So there's the raw there's the kind you buy pre raw diet you home make, but then raw diet you can buy or cooked that you make from home or cooked that you buy. So we'll kind of start with those only because kibble gets even more complicated, but this is a little easier to kind of narrow down if it's the right fit for you. So in general, I know a lot of people recommend raw and there are some dogs with certain health needs that need raw. So that is something that's there. But with raw, you have to be really careful about a lot of things if you decided you were going to feed raw. And if you're going to feed raw, you have to make sure you're cleaning the bowls every single day after every single meal because there's salmonella and bacteria that can be there from the raw meat. So you have to work that. So if you have small children, you don't want them touching the bowls. You need to make sure you're doing prep just like you would if you were cooking your own food. And sometimes we get a little lazy when it's dog food because we think, oh, it's just dog food, but it's still raw ingredients and raw meat. So that's, if you're doing raw, you need to take that in consideration. Then if you buy a homemade, a raw food from a company that pre-makes it, you have to do your research and make sure that they have all the ingredients and it's a good quality. Then you're not worried, hopefully, if it's a good business and a good company, you're not worried about like, vitamins and minerals and all of that because they've done it. But where I see problems with raw is when people try to do their own raw and they just make it up. I literally one time had a guy put some ground turkey, an egg and some blueberries. And he was like, oh, I make my own homemade raw. And I'm like, well, you do realize that the turkey's just muscle and dogs need the organs. They need the heart. They need all the parts if they were eating an animal because they all have different vitamins and that dog ended up being really sick. And I've seen it in other animals too, when people don't take consideration of what is involved when you're, this could be with home cooked or raw. And the same thing, if you buy um, pre-cooked, but real food, you know, from a store, these, this all comes, goes together. So if you're getting something that you're making on your own, whether you're cooking the meat or you're chewing it raw, you have to make sure you have good quality meat and then all the right ingredients, which also includes certain vitamins, bone, 
calcium. So sometimes you get ground bone, all these things. So as a human, um, and you're just an, un, just a regular pet owner, you're not going to know the right ingredients. So if anybody, if I have a client who says, I want to cook for my animal, then I always tell them you need to get a recipe from a, a veterinary nutritionist. So you might call UC Davis has some, some services, some of the other vet hospital or vet colleges have some, and universities have some, there are some good websites that are run by veterinary nutritionists that you can get it, but you need to have a nutritionist figure out exactly what you need to feed. And then you need to always feed exactly what they tell you. So if you run out of calcium, you've got to go get it. Because a lot of times what I find is people run out of a certain amino acid or they run out of some vitamin and like, oh, I'll get it next week. I'll get it next week. And next thing you know, it's been a year and that dog hasn't gotten that vitamin or that nutrient. And then they can start to have health problems. So if you're going to home cook, you got to do it. And it's a lot of work for home cooking. So sometimes I have people with small children or people who eat out on their own all the time. And I'm like, think about your reality. You don't even cook for yourself. Are you really going to be committed to cooking for your animal every week, every day, depending how you do it. Is that a reality? When Scooter did his food trial for allergies, mm -hmm. I cooked him quinoa and black beans for seven weeks. It was just quinoa and black beans, again, at the direction of his dermatologist to understand his food allergies. So I'm not saying like, this is yeah. not a nutritional program, but it was so much work. And it was just quinoa and black beans. And I do cook for myself and I do enjoy that stuff. It was exactly, so but work. it's so much work and you have to do it. There's no, like, it's an option, you know? So cooking, you have to be really committed to whether it's raw or cooked that you're making yourself. Then if you get it from a company, then you also have to make sure you're getting it from the company on a regular basis. And it's a good quality company. Another problem I have come up with, and this has happened to me personally, I had a client who used to board her dog with me for long periods of time because she would be gone. She fed a raw food that was delivered. So frozen patties and she'd get like a month's worth. Well, sometimes the dog would come and she'd have like a week's worth and she'd say, oh, but I didn't have any more because the auto shipment comes, you know, later. Sometimes she'd have to redirect and then the auto ship would come to my house. Well, then now I'm storing a month's worth of her dog's food in my freezer, which is another consideration. Do you have food room to store a month's worth of food in your freezer? And then sometimes she would forget and it would get delivered to her house. And now I have a dog that doesn't have food who's been on a raw diet. And it's a food that I can't just go buy in a store for her. So now I'm like, okay, well, either I have to cook for that dog or I have to give kibble. So then you have to make sure you have it. So you always have it, which means you put it on an auto ship or you, and you always have it. And you have to have room in your freezer if it's frozen. So there's a lot of pieces people don't think about. And if you go on vacation, it's a lot harder to bring that. If you take your dog on a two week trip with you, you got to store that in ice chest. You got to, you know, take it if you're camping. You got to find a way to keep it, you know, because it's not like something you can just go buy at a store and all of that stuff gets really expensive. And you have to kind of think about if your budget can handle it because your dog shouldn't be eating better than your children. So, you know, if your children are eating top ramen, maybe, you know, doing raw home cooked meals for your dog isn't the best choice for your lifestyle. But then there's some people who love to cook and they do it. But as long as they do it right, it can be okay. But there's all those characters, things you have to take into consideration. And there's always new companies coming into place. So I can't tell you necessarily which one is good or bad because there's so many now. And then there's kibble. Kibble is the most common food given to dogs. And if you get a good brand, you know, it's got all the nutrition and it has everything in it that they need. There's different proteins and there's different carbohydrates that are in it, depending on your dog's needs. So some dogs are really easy keepers and you can get any kind some dogs, you can switch proteins and you can switch it up if they have, you know, but a lot of dogs don't do well if you switch it a lot. So like my dog, when he was young, had allergies, external allergies. He's really allergic to eucalyptus, like it would get blisters on his body. So what I started doing is figuring out any other place I could reduce his allergies. So he was on a chicken-based diet then, switched him to salmon, and that made a difference. So clearly he has some issue with chicken, but, you know, nothing serious probably, but, um, so I switched him to a salmon-based diet and that's what he eats all the time. He can get other treats because it's not like he gets um, hives or anything if he's if the allergy is just contained into small amounts. But some dogs have 
very sensitive stomachs and they can only have a specific dog food. So sometimes they have to be on a prescription dog food because there's nothing else that they can tolerate. So when you have extremes like that, you have to kind of go with what your dog needs. But when you start talking, so whenever somebody asks me, what kind of food should I feed? I'm always like, cause I got people who are vegan, vegetarian, you know, organic everything. And then I have other people who are just like, I don't know. I just eat, I eat some processed foods, whatever. So if somebody has a really hard set core belief about food, like organic only, then I try to steer clear of a lot of the things that are like hills and science taking you can do, but because I know they're not going to listen to me anyway, because they already are more organic. And so then we might go to some of the other bigger, but more natural based foods, you know, that you go to, and that could be, you know, I don't know, there's taste of the wild and there's all kinds. There's so many different things. I don't like to go to small boutique kinds. So like things like Caesar Milan's food, I'm not going to buy, you know, that uh, Rachel Ray, nothing like that. But some of the other ones that are more proven, like, you know, Blue Buffalo and stuff, some of those, they've been around, they have a lot of things. You can look at the bag and see if they have AFCO in the back of that. But, and you can look at the ingredients, really looking at the ingredients becomes more important than like protein content and stuff like that, because you can see when you look at the back of the bag, if it says chicken byproducts, that probably means it's like beaks and you know claws and it's not nutritional stuff. But if it says, you know, chicken meat, then that's chicken meat. But if it says a processed chicken or something, you're, you're getting less quality. And then you also want to look at ingredients as always the most ingredient is going to be the top ingredient. So if you're buying a salmon based food, but salmon's like the 20th thing listed. It has salmon in it. So they're not lying, but it probably has all these other junk in them too. But no matter what food you get, it's all going to be processed because that's how they keep it stable. So you can look at the ingredients. You can look at, you know, things like that. The first five to 10 ingredients, are they real food? Or are they chemicals? Unless of course you have a special diet, and if you're getting a prescription diet, then it's a whole nother thing because it's working on your protein. So this is just general food. And as a vet tech, I love vets. I'm a total pro for the field. So this isn't negative against them, but, and, and I did this as a tech, I always recommended Hill Science Diet, Yukonova and Royal Canyon because they have a lot of prescription diets. Uh, but I started to learn as in the field is those companies also provide a lot of food and, and they provide a food for me. So they give away a lot of food to people to help promote it. Doesn't mean they're bad foods. I have fed Yukonuba to my dogs and Iams and up to my cats and science diet I fed. But if you're somebody who's looking more for the organic, those are a little bit, you know, more processed and more specific. So, but they're not necessarily bad. And so you have to really look at your individual dog because so much of this is like, how your dog tolerates things. And you don't always know if they don't tolerate the chick, if they get diarrhea from their food, well, is it because it's chicken or is it because of some other chemical that's in there? Is it the way it's processed or is it because it's got sweet potatoes in it? And maybe your dog doesn't do well with sweet potatoes. So a lot of it comes down to your dogs. And I now, I find, found when Captain was young that Taste of the Wild, he had firm stools, his skin was better, everything was better. There are some people who don't like Taste of the Wild because it's grain-free. And that's a whole thing of right now, you know, some people are still tell, you know, saying don't do grain-free because of their hearts for dogs. Some are saying that's not, you know, a problem. In my situation, the Taste of the Wild worked well for Captain. He didn't really have problems with grain. So he has treats that have grain. I mean, like he gets other stuff, but his food worked. Maybe another salmon food would have worked as well. Maybe Yukonuba salmon would have been fine too. It just happened to be that that was one that I tried after trying lots of foods and it worked. So I kept them on it, but you know, so you kind of have to see what they, what, what they like. So it's a, it's a big world and it's hard if you just trust, like you can't go to a boutique pet store and ask because they're going to sell you the most expensive boutique food, not knowing anything. Vets should be your best reliability, but some vets don't really know that much about nutrition, just like they don't know a lot about behavior. I mean, whatever, they don't learn about nutrition specifically in the vet hospital or in vet school. So if you have a doctor who's interested in nutrition, they're going to be able to tell you more. Those other companies like Hills, Yukonuba Science Diet, those all do a lot of testing on dogs. So they, that's why, you know, they, they spend money on testing, which is great, except 
they're testing a certain amount of dogs in their lab, you know, that don't necessarily live in your house. They don't necessarily all have your issues, your contact allergies. So there's so many variants. It's sort of like when you have a conversation with somebody say that's vegan and I'm not, I'm an omnivore. I eat meat. I, you know, everything. And they might get like, how dare, how could you eat meat? You know, well, it works for me. I mean, I've had doctors tell me I have to eat meat with my chronic Lyme disease. I can't go without some, that meat protein. But you talk to some people and they would swear by, you know, vegans, the healthiest lifestyle or vegetarians, the healthiest lifestyle, you know, so don't drink alcohol, drink alcohol. So I would treat food just like that, where you kind of take a little bit of everything and then you figure out what's best for your dog. One thing I will say before we move on to toys, though, is if you have a breeder who tells you they have to feed a food, that's a red flag, because if they say you have to feed it or your health guarantee is not guaranteed, especially if the food they're telling you you have to feed is one that's an or you have to be ordered, you know, order through a company, because I have seen a number of breeders tell clients you have to feed XYZ food and it's a pyramid scheme. So the reason they tell you you have to feed it is because you become a guaranteed customer. So you feel then they get kickback from the company for, you know, getting you to pay for the food. So anything that's like that, you start to go, wait a minute, you know, they should tell you and they, they'll tell you what food they feed. But sometimes breeders don't feed the best of the best. One, because they have your puppy for six to eight weeks. I mean, you know, eight to 12 weeks, maybe. So it's not their whole life. And they are feeding multiple puppies. So they're not going to buy the most expensive pet dog food on the market because they're feeding six, eight, 10 puppies plus mom. And um, it starts to, you know, they're going to feed the best that they can for the price point that they can afford. So, you know, there's a lot of pieces to that, but, but I had, um, I think it's Artemis. That's a pretty high protein. I've had some dogs who do great on that. And then other dogs, it's, it's a higher protein food. So they do really bad on it. It's too much protein. So we are, and our dogs are not descendants of wolves. They aren't, they have not been hunting in the fields for thousands and thousands of years. So their digestive system has evolved. So you don't have to feed like they were wolves. And if you remember, wolves in the wild don't live nearly as long as our dogs do, and they don't have the health care. There's just so many things that when people say their dogs have to have, you know, this because they're ancestors of wolves, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, that's just marketing that's getting you. Yeah. But I was trying to compact it down so it wasn't a two hour conversation. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and so let's talk next about how to transition food. So I just, Brought home baby Teddy and, you know, I, I did just buy a whole bag of what the breeder was feeding mm-hmm. him just because I have so much to do right now and so many decisions to make. So I was like, yep. I can decide I'm going to buy myself, you know, two to four weeks to get everything else handled before and to give myself research time to figure out what food I really want him to be on. So I that was a really good choice for me it, to just it, and it is a good choice anyway because puppies are going through a lot of changes regardless so keep them on the same food for you know a couple of weeks to a month even if, if it's not a food that you you know had already researched and you're like oh no that's a food i want keep them on it for a, a little bit as long as it's not you know attaboy or some you know grocery store food that is like eating snickers really bad. really bad yeah but if you choose to choose your change your food from what the breeder's doing, you want to do it subtly and not super fast because their digestive systems are still developing and we don't want them to get diarrhea because of a quick food change. This is going to depend on your dog too, because some dogs have very resilient little tummies and they can have a change and there's no problem. And then others have weak stomachs. So it just depends on, on the dog. So when you are looking at all of these things, like what I like to do is do a quarter of the new food and three quarters of old food and mix that together and do that for a couple days to a week, depending on how sensitive your puppy stomach is. Then do 50-50 for a couple days to a week so that they have half the old food, half the new food mixed together. And then, then you can go to three quarters of the new food and a quarter of the old food and then do a transition. So a transition could take a month of, if you're really trying to make sure that your puppy's tummy doesn't get upset by having an abrupt food change. So, um, 
you know, that's a good way to do it. And then some puppies, it doesn't matter. I mean, I have some people who get a different bag every time they go to the grocery store. It's like, oh, I just picked this one off and, and their dogs never have any problem. And then there's other dogs where they eat one treat that isn't familiar and they've got diarrhea for a week. So it's so yeah. individual. Well, and so when we do transition food, how long do you need to wait to analyze the results. So like if, if we get through that month long transition process and now we're on the full new food, do I need to wait a month to say my pup usually is a good, because skin, it's going to take skin about a month to have all new cells regenerate and your digestive system, you're going to see sooner. So if you're seeing diarrhea and vomiting or any digestive issues within the first week or two, then it's probably the food. You can always try by uh, putting them on a chicken and rice diet for a couple of days till their stool gets firm again. And then if you try the food again, then you're like, oh yeah, because with puppies, it can be worms. It can be parasites. It can be other things that cause diarrhea. So you don't always want to just jump to the conclusion that it is the food. But if you tried it back and it came back, then you know, the food is upsetting their stomach and it's the wrong choice. Now, skin takes about 30 days for you to be able to see it because the skin doesn't, you've got layers and layers of skin cells. So they're always sloughing off, but you're not going to get to that new layer of skin up to the top until about a month. So like with Captain, when his skin was kind of itchy and stuff, I waited a month and then I noticed he wasn't itching as much. And then he was being exposed because we were doing our Karen Pryor Academy workshop, mm -hmm. which where the potty area was, was all eucalyptus trees. So eucalyptus leaves were everywhere and he still had some allergy to it but it was less, you know, but I was also putting him in a high concentration of an allergic situation. So he was, I tried to walk him away from eucalyptus, but if anyone's ever been around like eucalyptus trees, when they drop their leaves, it's everywhere. And eucalyptus oils are in the air and the whole facility was surrounded by eucalyptus. So I couldn't fully escape it, but I could tell that his skin was better. How do I introduce new foods? It's been so interesting because Scooter and I would, we love to share bananas and carrots and apples and like even peanut butter right now. I did get one of those lick mats uh -huh. that we talked about and I initially put peanut butter on it and he did not care about it. Mm -hmm. But then I remembered that his breeder had given them some yogurt. And so I put Greek yogurt, plain Greek yogurt uh -huh. on the lick mat and he went nuts for yes. it. And yeah, and I gave him a piece of a banana and he was like, what, what is this? I don't so want this. So one thing with, you know, just like kids, you know, sometimes they have to get used to different things because, you know, it's all novel and new. Usually meat, because that's what they've been eating, you know, meat kind of things, something they're familiar with. So like canned food, you have a Kong, you could put peanut butter at the bottom and then put some canned food and then like yogurt. So then there's layers. So then it's kind of like they kind of the flavors will mix a little bit. And then sometimes it becomes a personal choice. Like I had a dog that loved strawberries. Like I would cut off the tops of my strawberries and just give all my strawberries to that dog. Other, other dogs are like, that's stupid. Why would I ever eat that? You know, it's dumb. So then I have some that like green beans and then some that don't, some that like broccoli and some that don't. So it becomes a very personal thing. I have some, a lot of dogs that don't actually like bananas. And then I have like some dogs who bananas are their favorite thing, especially when it comes to fruits and vegetables and things that are kind of like, and peanut butter. It's not a normal dog thing, like, you know, in their food, you can try things like canned baby food, chicken and beef and turkey or whatever. And you can try some meat flavored things. And sometimes it's just a matter of them trying it a couple of times and then all of a sudden they like it. And then usually if you expose them though, to lots of things when they're young, they're more likely to eat more things as they get older, but treats can be, you know, their personal choices. Just like some people don't like chocolate. I don't understand those people, but there are people who don't like chocolate, but, and like my mom loves lemon and lemon meringue and I could take or leave lemon meringue, you know? So it's all just a personal choice. And it's just a matter of exposing them to all these new things. Yeah. And he's and, only and been eating solid food for probably, you know, two to three weeks. So, yeah. you know, so for him, I mean, sometimes getting puppies to wean off of mom is hard because they're going from milk to, you know, their kibble or canned food or whatever the breeder feeds. And I don't think we should take the time to go through 
the list of poisonous foods. So let's just blanket say, please Google it and read yes. from a reputable website before you feed your dog anything. One website I would tell you that's really good is the ASPCA's poison list. It's very thorough. They keep it up to date, but there are things like you're not sure, like, you know, we used to in the nineties feed grapes to our dogs and raisins. And then we learned that that can cause kidney failure and avocados, you see avocado oil in things, but it's the pit and the skin that's more difficult. And like poinsettias, you got to be careful. So there's lots of plants and things. So whenever you have a puppy, you should be looking through plants and foods that are toxic to dogs, just so you are aware. Also like essential oils. So there's so many toxicities that, yeah, we could talk for three days on toxicities right. about with right. dogs. So, but yeah, definitely looking into those things before you give treats that you're not sure about. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So let's talk now about food toys. So you and I are huge fans of food toys. So what is a food toy and why should we be using them? So, yes. Yeah, so for the food toys, I think all dogs, especially puppies, but even, you know, adolescents, as they get older, it's not quite as critical unless they're fast eaters, should eat all their meals from food toys or the majority of their meal from a food toy or with training. Food toys are great. Some food toys that I like are kibble nibble balls, Kong wobblers, stuffed Kong, Buster food cubes, just that's just some, but there's a whole bunch that are always coming out. But what they are is you can put kibble into the toy and then your dog pushes it around and plays with the toy and the treat or kibble is dispersed throughout. And so they get a chance to like play, be mentally stimulated, slow down while they eat, but they're also doing critical thinking. They're trying to do problem solving. So it's great for brain development. It's great for teaching independence because they go off and start playing and don't need to be with you um, during that time. It teaches them confidence as they start to figure out how to push a toy a certain way so treats fall out. So there's a lot of mental benefits. A lot of them are somewhat physical toys. So they get a chance to play and chase it around. So they're burning some energy. Um, they're getting some exercise. So you've got mental and physical exercise. Plus if they eat fast, it slows their eating down. So then they don't inhale their food and throw, throw it up. So I think, you know, if, if you have a puppy, it would be three times a day. If you have an adult dog, two times a day. But it doesn't mean that you don't, you could do it more. So sometimes people need to get their dog more active than just two or three times a day. You know, they want them, maybe they're really hyper puppies. You can feed them from a food toy, any of the kibble toys, four to six times a day. If you really wanted to, you just divide the food instead of three portions, you divide it into six portions or, you know, so sometimes that's beneficial too. If like you're busy cooking and they're, need something to keep them entertained, you just give them that food toy. Or if you're busy on something, a project, then they're doing something efficient. You know, they're getting, they're eating, but they're also getting a chance to, you know, play at the same time. I brought home Teddy on Friday. So it's just been a few days. Scooter used Kong Wobbler. So I have his Kong Wobbler. And the day after I brought him home, I was teaching him how to use the wobbler and he was like sort of picking it up. And so fine. I wasn't really thinking about it. We were doing training with, with kibble. Like I wasn't thinking anything about it. And then the next day when he woke up, he was a maniac, mm -hmm. like so bitey, like mm -hmm. relentless, like maniac, maniac. Mm -hmm. And I realized that I had not fed him enough that day. Uh, and yes. so because I looked back at, at the notes from the breeder and he is supposed to get three to four cups of food a day. Uh -huh. So then every morning now I'm putting three or four cups into a bag. But so I'm I'm curious, I haven't gone back to the wobbler because he wasn't able, he wasn't able to eat enough. Like he's not good mm -hmm. at it. Yes. Yes. Enough food. So yes. Talk to me. Yes. So that. that, and that happens with adult dogs that I also recommend, you know, a food toy too. So obviously we need them to get the calories. Obviously they need their food. And so your food toys can be lots of different varieties of things it doesn't have to be just a wobbler it can get a like a soda bottle like a 
you know, like a liter bottle or even water bottles and cut holes in the sides of them. And so you, with those, they're cheap, you know, you reuse them, you can cut holes in the sides of them. So then they roll it like a barrel and you can make the holes at first really big. And then once it gets really easy, then you can make a new one and make the hole smaller. For the Kong wobblers and the kibble nibbles, those do take a little bit of time. You want to make sure their holes are open the most as possible and, you know, have those available. But you can also do things like if you have a snuffle mat, you know, you can sprinkle them on the snuffle mat. So now they're doing the search for their kibble on the snuffle mat. If you have a puppy who gets tired easy because he's only eight weeks old. So, you know, some of the stuff is a little hard for him as he gets more active it be easier for him to do these things. So you can also feed them like in on the floor, scatter on your kitchen, yeah. you know? And so then he's still mentally stimulated. He's still looking around for things. It's, and it doesn't mean you can't use a bowl. I mean, you know, you can use a bowl some, but you want to try to use that opportunity of that kibble to do training, to do other things, to do searching so that they're looking around rather than just eating purely out of a bowl. You can use it in, in lots of other ways. And, you know, he's been overwhelmed. So it's been a couple of days. It's just like with the food transition, you know, sometimes we get a puppy and we are like, oh, we're going to do all these things. And it's just too much too soon. So you still have to go be gradual about stuff. And, and you know what your goal is. Like I want him to eat out of food toys all the time. So I'm going to, you know, start with that. I'm going to get him used to that, but I'm also going to realize he still needs to have his calories in other ways. So I'm also going to make sure that I'm supplementing him in other, in other ways. And, and what you did is exactly what I tell people to do. Cause this will happen too, with dogs that are on diets, they'll overfeed because they're putting on food. So what I tell people is if, whether they need to make sure they have a certain amount of calories, how much you're supposed to feed in a day, put in a Tupperware or in a baggie. So throughout the day, you take it from there. And if that bag or Tupperware is empty at the end of the day, you know, you fed everything. Puppies are hard because like the breeder says, you know, three to four cups, just say, you know, in the, in your situation a day, as he grows, that amount could go up or that amount could go down, you know, feed three times a day. So you would, in your case, you, you might make sure it gets about a cup in the morning, cup sometime in the middle of the day and about a cup in the evening. But if you find he's not eating lunch anymore, don't freak out that he's not eating that amount. As long as he's putting on weight and he's healthy, his metabolism just might be slower than other Well. Because he was just in Puppy Thunderdome, and now he's just loafing around at my house. Exactly, and he's and he's not competing for food, you know. Because a lot of times a breeder puts out a big bowl for all the puppies for six puppies, six cups. But one puppy might be eating a cup and a half, another puppy, you know, may only be eating a half. You know, it doesn't mean that they have to have a certain amount. I mean, I know some people who can eat McDonald's all the time and they never put on a pound. If I eat McDonald's once a month, I put on 20, you know, just by looking at the McDonald's sign. Everybody's metabolism is unique and different. Scooter Boy, my last dog, was a massive 75-pound lab. And I kept some of his toys because I knew I was going to get a new baby, including his Kong Wobbler, which, Uh again, is massive. And so I was... I was thinking too, baby Teddy was learning how to do it, but it's also like very big and very heavy. So I thought that could have been an issue. It could be. And they do have, you know, smaller version. They have a a small Kong wobbler, you know, for small dogs and puppies, because you can get away with some things being big, but some things, if they're too big, it's just too much. You know, they can't, it would be like, if I'm asking five-year-old to lift you know, a 50 pound bag of dog food. He, they're not going to be able to, but my 17 year old can lift a 50 pound dog food. No problem. It's just a matter of what their strength and ability is at the time. And then you have to always make sure, you know, if you get those small things like Kongs are a big thing. If you get a baby Kong for your baby, which is fine, but you need to make sure you get rid of that toy as it gets too small for them because Kongs can be a choking hazard. I love Kongs, but my biggest anxiety is when somebody has tiny little baby Kong that's for like a Yorkie for their, you know, Mastiff and the Mastiff is still chewing on it. And I'm like, oh my God, that's going to go down their throat. It could get stuck in their windpipe, stuff in their esophagus. It could become a foreign body in their stomach. So you don't want things that'll be too small so that they don't have a health problem from that. For the first couple days, he was just playing with what we already had. And I had a a few new toys, Mm -hmm. but 
you know, he's a lab and he wasn't like really playing with the balls that we had. And I'm like, okay, something's wrong. So I went to the store and I got on these tiny balls that look, Mm -hmm. they're like the size of a golf ball. Mm -hmm. And guess what? He goes crazy for them because he can actually fit it in his mouth comfortably. Yes. And, and so I, that was another big lesson. But in like two weeks, you may be taking those balls away. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I had to come to terms and accept that I'm going to have to buy toys multiple times because he's going to be different sizes and have different abilities. And that's just part of getting a puppy and growing. That is something. Yeah. A lot of times people get frustrated. Oh my God, I'm buying so many things for this dog. I hear people say that. And I'm like, but just like when you have a child, like if you have children, when you have birth, you know, everybody gives you the cute, you know, zero to three month clothes that they wear for a minute. Some of them don't get worn. They get worn one time because we buy, you know, because they're the size that fits, but getting a little bigger is fine, but you can't get a one-year-old size for a three-month-old because that's not going to fit. And it's just part of growing up is that you have to keep moving up to the right size for the appropriateness for the dog, you know, and that's where if you can do things like the water bottles or the, you know, something where you can do it for free or cheap, finding toys with like a ball, if you're supervising them, you know, you could find some other little, you know, if you had some other kind of roll up, you know, maybe aluminum foil, as long as you're supervising them with it and they throw it and you just don't let them have it without it. Dogs have preferences. Some dogs like to destroy, you know, soft toys. Some dogs don't like toys. I had a client last night who has given her dogs beanie babies, which I don't necessarily recommend because they have all those little beans in it. And if they rip it, it's going to be a disaster. But she had given these puppies since they were little beanie babies that they never destroyed. But any squeaker toy that she gets, they destroy in 30 seconds because the squeak stimulates that, you know, excitement, that prey drive that, you know, I want to, you know, destroy this. Some dogs really like to chew. And so there's all kinds of choice. Like, you know, there's Nyla bones. Well, I know very few dogs who actually like Nyla bones because they don't have a lot of flavor. They're just plastic, but there are some who love that. Then there's some edible Nyla bones, there's greenies. And then you've got the whole, like all the things from rawhide to non-rawhide to bully sticks. And my biggest thing, anything edible, just make sure it's made in the United States and it's not made in China. No matter what I buy, if it's a treat, if it's a chew toy, if it's anything my dog's putting in their mouth, I look at the label and if it's not made in the United States, I don't buy it because I do know a dog who died of acute kidney failure because it was the chicken strips and they were made in China. And she had given, she had, I think four or five dogs. She had given every dog one of these chicken strips, but one of her dogs happened to have a reaction to whatever chemical they had, or that one strip had the chemical. We don't know. We'll never know but he did pass away because of, and that was the, what it was. It was, she gave that and that was the side effect and it was made in China. So I'm really careful about that. Or if they're made in like Mexico, I want it made in the United States. If it's made in New Zealand, it's probably going to be fine. You know, if it's made in a country that is more responsible about their manufacturing, but any mass production manufacturer, Taiwan, China, you just have to be careful because they don't have the same protection of dogs and food protect yeah. and it's not regulated so you could end up with something dangerous so you just want to make sure you know some toys might have lead in them from some of those places and we don't want you know it's just like kids you don't want them sticking something in their mouth that they might have a toxin yeah. it's sometimes hard to to find out on like a, a chew toy where like on a rawhide or whatever where it was manufactured and so a couple of things that I've seen is for example like a rawhide might be made from beet cattle that was raised in Brazil but it was manufactured in the United States yes and it's very tricky and because manufacturers are realizing that people are looking for, there is an American made, it's called American Rawhide or American Bully Sticks. But if you look at it, it's made in China, but they just named it that. So you would look, so you have to look, a lot of the new com- the companies will have a United States flag stamped on it. That makes it a lot easier. So if it's made in the USA, really hard, I find it 
if you can go shop in person, it's a little easier. When you look on Chewy or Amazon or any of these online sites, oh my gosh, I mean, it feels like it takes so much more work because unless they are trying to use it as an advertising point, it's really hard to look through the fine print to see where it was made. I have had better luck at like a, a local store versus like a big national chain to that that they prioritize you know american made uh chewy things but too often the um, the people who work there will be able to help guide you on what could be u.s made but too i say that and and the the local place that i always went for scooters rawhides i just happened to recheck the bag and and yeah. they had switched, you know, they had switched brands or switched manufacturers or, or Something. whatever. So it, it is a thing that you need. You to- have to check and you want to know, I don't, um, I get most of my stuff now from Chewy because I don't have time to go to the stores and I know which to get. But when I used to go to stores, the place I found more American made shoes was Target, but they would have yeah. one that was a non-American made and one that was American made. And like the American made was like a yellow label and everything was the same except the color of the label. So you had to learn to look through it. But I used to not be able to go to our local PetSmart or Petco either because even the treats, I would be looking for treats. I'm so frustrated unless it was the one I always got. You know, I always got Zook. So, okay, I, I don't have to worry about it. It's, or I always exactly. got Charlie Bears. Okay, I don't have to worry about it. But if I was looking for something new, I had to always look. Big chain stores are sometimes harder to get the local pet stores are usually a little more careful about, they know they're, they'd get smaller amounts. They work more closely with manufacturers and producers. So there's a little, it's a little easier sometimes to find out that way, but it is something you have to do your research and you have to look because it's a lot harder than it seems. But when I go other places, I do have to still look. And even some boutiques, you still have to be careful. Like, like there's a the local store, I have a hard time finding any American made treats there. Like I get, and I get kind of frustrated because I'm like, I really want to give you my business, but I can't because you don't have all what I need. You know, you're not carrying that. So, yeah. and they well, just don't realize the risk. What I decided to do is like, you know, we were at, we just happened to go to a national chain a couple days ago and I was looking for different treats and chewies and all that stuff. And I just decided if, if it's ambiguous at all, I'm yeah. not getting it. You yes. Know, because they do try to, they use that word manufactured. Yes. Uh, it's just really It's tricky. tricky. And then sometimes like I, I have to do the same thing when I look and sometimes it won't say United States, but it'll be like manufactured in Vermont. And I'm like, okay, you know, but it's like, you know, they'll say the state instead of just the United States. And so then I have to look, well, is that really where it was manufactured or is that just where it was packaged? Because sometimes Package. even it's packaged in the United States, you know, it's not, it was made in, you know, some, you know, China, but then it was repackaged in the United States. And so it's too hard to find. I just go, whatever. And then you start to find the things your dog likes. You start buying the same ones, maybe different flavors or whatever. Boys can be anything. It's gotta be what your dog likes though. Like my Jack Russell likes antlers, any of the like bone kind of things. And she likes food toys. Uh, Food toys are her most favorite thing in the world. She will work on a food toy until it's clean, clean, clean. And, um, and she likes her bones. And then my lab likes more things he can chew. Like he likes a bully stick. He likes a American rawhide, you know, rawhide. He'll chew those fine. Some dogs won't tolerate rawhide. They will choke on them. So all of this is individual. Like you can't just assume. I had a dog who really liked pig's ears, but then I that dog ended up getting pancreatitis, chronic pancreatitis. She couldn't have pig's ears because there was too much fat in them and it gave her it inflamed her pancreas so all of this is just like us you know some people tolerate gluten some people don't some people tolerate dairy some people don't you have to look at it and with toys i hated rubik's cubes as a kid but i was an 80s kid so you know everybody got your rubik's cube i get so frustrated with those that i just peeled off the stickers to make it go back to the right way so i wasn't doing it right so like that's not a good toy for me but I loved hook latch, you know, so give me a hook latch kit, but other people would hate that and love the Rubik's cube. So 
just like us, your dogs are going to have some toys that are the favorites. Some are not. I really encourage everybody to do food toys because that helps them get a little more creative because they're getting reinforced by playing with toys. So, but there's so many out there and, and you can, they might, some like to tug, some don't like to tug. So you just never know what they're going to like. And so let's hone in a little bit on chewy things. So mm -hmm. I've, I've heard rawhide's fine. I've heard no rawhide. Mm -hmm. I've heard that you should only give your dog something to chew on that you could like make an impression with your fingernail. Mm -hmm in it but I've also heard the antlers are great but Scooter broke mm -hmm. a tooth on an antler yes but it yes. took him six years to break a tooth on a nut so yes so are there any hard recommendations or limitations on the chewy stuff is there anything that you decide like the away? first thing that's always hard is what we just talked about made in the United States and you know that is non-negotiable you know made in the United States or a you know Australia or New Zealand now when it comes down to like rawhides like I've had my dogs have always liked rawhides and they chew them until they're all the way gone they don't inhale them I don't have to worry about them choking but I have had dogs that I work with that they get too frenetic about the rawhide and then they swallow it and then they choke or they don't have it so those dogs can't have it or they can only have it supervised or maybe they need pressed rawhide has a whole thing like if you're really organic you know it's they are treated they are from cows you know like there's that whole political part of things that that's just different. But when we're looking at safety, as a vet tech, you know, I was involved in thousands and thousands of surgeries and you they could choke on them if they inhaled them. But if they swallowed a piece too big, but if you've ever gotten rawhide wet, it gets really slimy and slobbery. It can become an obstruction. It tends to pass fairly easily. So that's one of the concerns that people have, you know, and so, but I think the chewing is so important and they do get soft. So you don't tend to break teeth on rawhide like you can with some of the harder things. The one thing I would say never to give your dog that's still out there is there's a little pig's ear or pig's feet, pig's hooves. They're black. They're kind of um, shaped like a giant almond sort of shape. Now, the reason I say don't give those is I think I have been in five to 10 surgeries where that was stuck in the, in the stomach because it'll slide down the throat because of its shape and it gets a little soft, but the hooves don't dissolve like rawhide does. So if you stuck a hoof in a bottle of bowl of water and you stuck a rawhide in a bowl of water and you came back a couple hours later, the rawhide is going to be slimy and gross and falling apart. The hoof's still going to be pretty firm. And so if it slides down, now it's stuck and it can only be removed with surgery. So I always say, don't give those pigs hooves because you never know if they're going to, unless, I mean, if it was a Yorkie maybe, but a Yorkie wouldn't want something that big. So that's where I say those are something when it comes down to bones and hard things, you know, I'm really careful about bones that I give. And if I have a dog who chews really hard, some of those pressured bones, maybe getting something that's a little softer that has a little give is better. Uh, but dogs chew rocks sometimes and break teeth. I mean, breaking a tooth can happen. I mean, humans break teeth just by eating into an apple sometimes. So you have to know your dog. Antlers can get a little softer. There's different kinds of antlers. There's sliced antlers, there's stuff. But she just chews on, you know, the antlers um, and doesn't, never has broken a tooth. But chewing's a super normal, healthy part of releasing stress for dogs. So not allowing them to chew causes sometimes more detriment. And sometimes they don't want to chew on the nyla bone. It's just boring, you know, but there's edible nyla bones. One piece of um, bone that I found that dogs who like to chew on wood really love is it's a plastic bone. I think it's called by Nutrisages or something or stages, something stages makes it, but it's got particles and smells like wood. And a lot of dogs that love to chew on wood really like that toy and they tend to get into it and it has a tiny bit of a give, but not, so it's not as hard as a Nyla bone, but it's not as soft as like a greenie. So it's kind of in between finding things like that. Just recently, I was at a boutique pet store that had a special kind of wood that had that give to it. I have never given it to my dog, but she said dogs really love it, but you have to make sure with wood that it doesn't splinter and that they don't ingest it. You know, some dogs like to chew sticks and um, it just, you pick it up in their poop, you know? So it's finding what works for them. Um, my dogs would be happy having a Kong for every day. So, but not all dogs are satisfied by a Kong to chew. Like Captain, when he was younger, would destroy 
I couldn't give him a tennis ball with unless yeah. we were playing because he'd pop it and then he'd try to tear off the felt. And so I had all these destroyed tennis balls that I didn't want him eating any of it, you know, but then there's also time dogs who chew on tennis balls and then they wear down their teeth. So you really have to look at the individual, just like some dogs who eat rocks. If you see them, their teeth are all, they may not break, but they're all filed down. So, you know, it's really one of those things you have to try and see what's good. You always want to supervise a dog the first time they have anything like that, because you want to make sure that they are actually, you know, chewing it and not inhaling it, or they're not having trouble with it. So no matter what you want to supervise them. And then as they get better with it, you know, then you can, you know, be a little bit less supervising. Well, and I think now that you say all that in hindsight, Scooter was such a strong chewer. So Mm -hmm. I probably shouldn't have been giving him antlers because Mm -hmm. he was like, he really needed something that he could dig into a little bit. But And that's where rawhide works really good for that kind of dog. And that's where I hate taking it away from somebody because people have issues with the rawhide, whether how it's produced or, you know, but you have to look at the what's good or bad for them, you know, like, okay, well, you know, we all do things that aren't perfect for our health all the time. We're never perfect, but you find something that's, that's works better. Like I like to run. And some people say you should never run because it's bad for all your joints. And I'm like, but don't, I, but, oh, you should swim. Well, I'm sorry. I hate swimming. So that's not going to be an effective exercise for me, even if it was better for my body. So it is, you have to figure out what is right for them. There are newer, no hide things where they're like raw hide, but they're made out of chicken. But then some of those, then you end up being processed. Like it's a processed product where it's not really anything. So mm-hmm. then you have to go back to that. Well, what's better? A processed fake rawhide or a real rawhide that at least, you know, came from a cow at some point, you know, (laughs) you know, so it's, it gets to be very political. So I'm very much like, try to pay attention to what does a dog need? And what is the human's philosophy of life to make sure it's all aligned? Because we're not all going to be able to, there's no right answer for any one dog or one person. Yeah. Well, and with, with Scooter too, he was such a strong chewer. So then I just had to get like, bigger and bigger chewies which got very expensive so that's a consideration too and with rawhides too I could only get him those retriever rolls because if I gave him a like a rawhide chip he'd choke on it right away exactly yeah because you couldn't give him like a rawhide strip because he would choke but then like if you give some dogs the ones that have the knots on the end then they chew it and then they choke on the knot I give the rolls also, my dogs get the rolls, not that they would have problems with it because these, my dogs don't, but mostly because sometimes I'm not fully supervising them and I just want to make sure it's okay. And they're a little smaller because they don't need the four foot rawhide every day. You know, they, this is just like four inches. It's maybe an inch thick in diameter. So it lasts them an hour, maybe two and it's not an all day, you know, I don't need it to be forever in a day. Some of those big things, but that also comes to, cause like a lot of times I was trying to recommend bully sticks when people didn't want to do rawhide, but bully sticks get really expensive too. And they're smelly and then people don't like the way they smell. So that's what I mean. It becomes really a personal choice of the person and what the dog actually likes as well, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's hard toys. And I mean, it's, it's just like any toys for your kids. Like you sort of have to like guess, you know, cause they say, Oh mommy, I want the Barbie. And then you get them the Barbie and they're like, Oh, you mean the Barbie doesn't like move on its own. I have to do it. And it doesn't like, Oh, it looked different on the commercial, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it is one of those, you just have to see what your dog, you know, likes. And, and like some dogs can have cloth things. Others can't cause they'll swallow the squeaky. So if you have a dog that's going to swallow squeaky, they can't have squeaker toys. Is that also like any kind of cooked or smoked? Oh yeah. So bones, you have to be careful about all bones. If they're like the bones that you can get, like at the butcher, you have to be careful of the broken teeth because they're hard. So they could break teeth, but any chicken bones can, should never be given because they're hollow. A lot of rib bones, if they're cooked, anything that's going to splinter, 
you don't want that splintering to, because it can become a, it can rupture their intestines and they could become septic. And so you have to be careful of like cooked bones become brittle. Chicken bones are, you know, brittle. Although I, you know, I mean, I have had plenty, plenty of clients who the dog gets in the garbage and eats the chicken carcass and they're panicking. It doesn't mean you have to go make them throw up right away. It means you monitor them. If you have a situation where they eat a chicken bone, then you can feed um, large amounts of food, like canned food or something, so that you have almost like padding in their intestines. So the food can be kind of compacted into the bone and then travel all the way down. So then when they poop, they're pooping out a bone that is covered in the food. So, um, you know, so that's where you want to make sure that if they did get into anything, it passes through because you don't want them to vomit up splintered bones if you can help it because now they could rupture their esophagus on the way back up. So, yeah. So, but you do have to be really careful with different bones. And I mean, I have dogs who get, you know, the butcher um, hip bones or, you know, the knuckle bones and things, but those can break their teeth too, you know, and, and sometimes I have um, some clients who get those bone marrows and you have to be careful because if your dog's not used to that, that could cause a major diarrhea. And again, if they're raw bone marrow and you leave them out, now you have the salmonella and you have all of that stuff. That's why I love Kong so much because a Kong can be put in the dishwasher. Kong can be, you know, filled with whatever they want. And so you can control what's they're going in. They're not going to swallow a Kong. I mean, unless you unless- get one that's too small, but if you leave it outside, your dog chews on it, some of them will disintegrate. If you have a big chewer, you get a black Kong because they're stronger, but I have still seen dogs be able to chew and destroy a black Kong. If they're like a, like some of the pit bulls that have really strong jaws, there's very few toys you can get that they'll never destroy. With Scooter, I had a whole bunch of Kongs and I would take his kibble because he had so many allergies, right? So Mm -hmm. I would take his allergy sensitive kibble and I would soak it in water to make it mushy and then mix in some of the same brand wet food and then put that, let it get all nasty and mushy, put it in the Kongs and then freeze them to make it harder. And you would definitely do, could do that for an adult dog. For puppies though, you don't, you need to make the Kongs really easy putting like, you know, baby food in the, so it's really easy for them to lick out, you know, something that's easy for them to lick out. And if you look at Kong has probably on their website, but I know I have a brochure where they call like beginning, intermediate and advanced Kong, you know, you've got to like work through the system. You can't just go straight to the hardest Kong. It's kind of like if you were learning to knit, you don't do the most complicated pattern if you don't even know how to knit in the first place. You knit a basic. Right, mm-hmm. right. right. So. We haven't really talked about toy toys. We've talked about food toys. Um, yeah, um, like balls and stuffed toys, the blank, you know, the cloth toys. There's so many different toys that it depends. If you have a retriever, you can get ball toys. If you have a tugger, you can get tug toys. There are eight bazillion types of toys out there. So you really have to find out what your dog's favorite um, toy is. Some like to just carry toys around. Lots of golden retrievers will just carry a stuffed toy around. So it doesn't even matter. Like I've gotten toys, just stuffed animal toys at thrift stores before that don't have little beady eyes and don't have, you know, that are just stuffed stuffing and fluff on the outside. And, and then you supervise them because it's like, you know, if they destroy them. But then you can buy really fancy, supposedly durable, but I have yet to find a toy that is 100% durable to no matter what dog. I have I have tried most of them and eventually they figure out how to destroy them. You know, you just have to see what your dog likes. I mean, that really comes, I mean, if you went to a pet store, you would see there's hundreds of kinds of toys and you just start to figure out, do they like the stuffed toys or not? Do they like the rope? Do they like the tug or not? Do they like more ball toys? You know, I have a toy box that my dogs can chew out and scout every night goes in and finds the rot, the antlers or the, you know, marrow bones that don't have marrow in them anymore because they're like the kinds we bought that had peanut butter instead, or she finds food toys and she picks them up and she takes them wherever we are in the house and chews on those for the day, you know, and then captain doesn't really care anymore. He's older. He'll give me a food toy or a Kong if it's stuffed for sure. But if it's any other toy, he's not interested anymore. Is there... 
any toy that you absolutely wouldn't give. Be really careful of the hard toys, you know, like the hard chewing things, if depending on the dogs, anything that looks like it could be destroyed really easy. Like there are some toys that are made so poorly that if, you know, they chewed on it, it's going to break and then they're going to eat, you know, parts or toys that are too small. That's probably the biggest thing I take away. Clients will bring their dog to board with me. Oh, I put these toys, I gave them their toys. And I'm like, this toy is way too small. It's a choking hazard. So then I don't give those. And know, but that's probably the biggest things I'm looking at. So I think when I got Scooter, one of his vets suggested never ever rope toys. They said mm-hmm. that like of the um, obstructions, like they have pulled like like those ropes where like you start to get the strands that pull yes. off yes so some that's again it comes down to some dogs so some dogs destroy them and the strings are all over the place and you know yeah it's dangerous but then others just carry those around and it's a tug toy i have a rope toy in the backyard that's old you know that a lot of the dogs that play with that one just carry it around and run around with it in their mouth like they earned a prize but, you know, it's the same thing. The only one I would say that I always tell people is stay away from the pig hooves because that one, no matter how big, unless they're a tiny dog, that can go down your esophagus and it really doesn't have a way of getting out. You know, you don't pass those very easily. Is there any way to get a puppy to stop ripping up their soft toys? Or is that like, is that something that you can train out of a dog or it just is what it is? You know, most of the time, because it's kind of like telling somebody you here's this Play-Doh, but I don't want you to make it not in the shape that it came from the manufacturer. Like it's meant to be played with. It's meant to be destroyed. It's one of those things you could take it away every time they started to destroy it, but then you're sort of taking the fun out of it. Uh, but some dogs don't to destroy their soft toys and they just carry them around and hold them. So it's, you can, you could teach them, but it also starts to go, well, but that's the fun of it. Like, like, are you going to ruin the fun of the toy? If you don't let them destroy it, are they even going to care about the toy later? Right. Right. You know, because that's why they want, that's what's fun about the toy. To be honest, that the Mm -hmm. things that we're talking about can be a lot of work Mm -hmm. and can have some side effects that are kind of annoying. So (laughs) when when you do the Kong wobbler, right, the dog smacks that thing around and it makes a ton of noise. And that's kind of annoying. And and guess what? You're going to have kibble crumbs on your floor. And that's kind of annoying. Well, and sometimes I have people who do all their food toys are in the backyard. They'll give the Kong wobbler in the backyard and the kibble nibble ball in the backyard because they can't stand. That's where a stuffed Kong is a little quieter usually. Um, But like when you're saying this, like Scout will still sometimes sneak an antler into our bedroom and like she knows not to bring it on the bed because she knows I'll take it away because I'm trying to fall asleep. So she's on the side of the bed where I can't see her and, but I hear crunch, crunch, crunch. And I'll say scout and she gets quiet. And then sometimes she jumps on the bed because she knows the next step is mom's going to get out of bed and put it up on the high dresser because so right now by my TV in my bedroom, I think I have most of the antlers and the marrow toe bones that don't have anything. Well, even a Kong, she'll get a Kong and really start squeaking, not chewing on it. And I'm like, you can do that any day, all day long, babe, but not when it's bedtime. And so you have to, you know, manage those things. So sometimes you do have to put them in another room or outside, depending on what your tolerance is and how crazy they are about it. Because Scout's uh, not too crazy anymore about a Kong wobbler. She's got that down. So it doesn't really, she doesn't, she just bats it and carries it around and drops it. She doesn't like slam it against walls anymore. Oh man, Scooter would knock that thing across the kitchen (laughs) but he was having so much fun doing it because i only literally from like three days after getting scooter i only fed him out of food toys and so then like if i was traveling and i had to feed him in a bowl what does that little dude do he knocks (laughs) the bowl over because that's how he thinks he's supposed to eat exactly you know like my dogs now do either i mean most of the time they feed out of bowls because captain has so many medications and things and i have to make sure and he's older now like he would wear himself out playing with a toy for breakfast and dinner like 
that would be too much for him with his age. But it is one of those things, getting him used to a bowl some is fine, you know, but just mixing it up, you know, and making like keeping life interesting. The things that you're suggesting do take an investment, but they're all intentional and important. And it's important for each pet owner to look at what kind of commitments they're able realistically to make. Exactly. Yeah. We, we set our dogs up for success. If we set them up for success, we set them up to fail when we don't set them up for success. Hopefully we answered lots of everybody else's questions, things they might have thought of. And you know, all of these things, you have to look at the individual. So food, toys, one toy might be good for one dog and not for another. One food may be good for one dog and not for another. That's why it's so hard to answer the question anymore of, because there are some good quality foods that maybe aren't the ones you buy at the vet, but you have to be careful because every Tom, Duke and Harry has a new food or a new toy. And you just have to look at what are the risks and to your dog individually. There's not a one size fits all, just like for humans. There's not a one size fits all diet. There's not a one size fits all exercise. It's all very individual. So I hope everybody learned from this and we will keep doing our puppy podcast as our little baby Teddy grows and lots of questions that will be answered. And we'll also be posting pictures of him and videos of him at his bed appointments and some of his adventures. So hopefully this podcast will help you be able to guide your puppy to a better, healthy adult life. So that's our goal. All these questions answered. So thank you, Emily, so much for being part of the podcast again, and we will rejoin again soon. Sounds good. Thanks, friend.